everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you are listening to episode 59, and I'm talking with Naomi Peskovitz. <laughs> I have a recording buddy here with me today for my intro. My youngest son, Russell, is he's teething, and he does not want to be put down. So I have a friend, a little buddy with me recording. So if you hear baby noises in this recording, say, hey, Russell. Russell's almost six months old now, and we are kind of getting out of the easy baby, I just sleep all the time stage, so (laughs) bear with me here. Anyway, so today we're talking with Naomi, and Naomi is an anchor here at the NBC affiliate in Indianapolis, WTHR, Channel 13. I met Naomi about three years ago when she came out to the house and was covering a story on me, actually, which is kind of random, but she is so sweet. So she's an Emmy award-winning reporter, and and she's lived all over the country, and she's actually from Indianapolis and recently moved back here to work for WTHR. So honestly, one of those people that you, you know, you meet someone once, like she's a new, she's, she was a reporter that came over to my house and did a story on me. I met her once and you kind of think, okay, that's nice and fun. And, and I don't know that I'll ever see her again or whatever, but she stayed in touch. We've stayed in touch with each other via social media, and she really is so sweet and kind and genuine. And we had so much fun in this episode, I knew we would have a lot to talk about. Naomi and I actually talk about something that I haven't spoke about on this podcast yet, and that's the fact that I have that I have the BRCA2 gene mutation and actually elected to get a prophylactic double mastectomy in 2013, and Naomi actually is positive for the BRCA1 gene mutation. So we get into talking about that a little bit in this episode, uh, just really honest about my fears on that, and Naomi talks about it as well. And then... Naomi also talks, so she talks about her career a lot, which is really fun. And then we also talk about online dating. Naomi is a single lady. She does have a boyfriend right now, but she talks about how she met him through online dating. And it's a really fun conversation. I learned a little bit about about online dating. Do you guys know what Bumble is? Well, you're about to find out. Before we get started talking with Naomi, I want to thank Now Foods for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you haven't checked them out yet, go ahead and do that. They are a leader in the natural health food industry since 1968. I buy my protein powder from them. I really love their products. I love what they stand for. They are a family-owned business, you guys, which I think is really cool. And you can buy vitamins, supplements, sports nutrition, all kinds of good stuff from them. And you can save 25% off. Go to now-2-u.com and enter the promo code ANOTHER, all caps. Check out their website, browse around, get yourself some sports nutrition or whatever you need. Thank you Now Foods for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you aren't subscribed to the show yet, make sure that you go ahead and do that so that you don't miss an episode every single Friday. And I also wanted to let you guys know I recorded my April bonus episode that will be landing in Patreon this weekend. I recorded that with my sister yesterday. So that's another 45 minutes of goodness. There are now, there will now be four bonus episodes waiting for Patreon supporters in your feed if you haven't already supported there. So you guys can learn more about being a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash lindsayhine. I'm doing my live call-in show today at 1230. It might be too late for you guys to join that because unless you, you know, listen to this episode the second it gets uploaded at 7 a.m. on Fridays. But today at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm doing a live call-in show, or I'm doing a call-in show. I'm going to have the line open from 12.30 to 2, so you can call me anytime during that time period. If somebody else is on a call, the line will be busy. So don't everybody, 
run to your phones right at 1230. I mean, somebody call at 1230, but not everybody. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening today. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Naomi. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. This My place is all back to normal, so that's good. They just have to come and repaint and like rehook up some lamps and stuff, but other than that, it's fine. Okay, so we're talking to Naomi Peskovitz, and what happened in your apartment two days ago? <laughs> well, uh, so I work in the middle of the night, basically. Um, my alarm goes off on the weekends, usually around like 3.30 or 4, and my boyfriend was staying over, but he was thinking about going out, but I went to bed way early, like 8 o'clock, um, and he decided not to go out, which was awesome because he woke me up at like one thirty and asked me for the emergency maintenance number. And I told him that you really can only call that number in emergencies because they'll charge you. And he's like, I think it's an emergency. <laughs> and I close my eyes and I start hearing just like water rushing. And I'm like, where is that coming from? So I got out of bed. I looked around uh, and my apartment was dripping from like every crevice possible so I guess the people above me had had, they weren't home and something popped under one of their sinks. It wasn't even that cold out. So I don't know what the deal was, but um, yeah, my apartment basically flooded. So they were, the apartment complex was cool. They put us in a hotel for a couple of nights and um, they had those big fans blowing, but they're all out now and everything's fine. I didn't actually somehow lucked out. No electronics were damaged. None of my clothes, a few picture frames, but I'd had them forever anyway. So they were just a little bit wet, but it wasn't too bad. But you moved to a hotel and you posted a picture and then you had to be at work in like two days or two hours. Yes, that's true. I didn't fall back asleep. It was impossible because I, when I got out of bed, I put on my bathrobe because that's like what I always do. And again, my boyfriend was like, I think you should like get dressed maybe. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and he's like, cause I don't think we're going to sleep here tonight. I'm like, but I don't understand why. Cause it wasn't in my room. It was like just outside my room and everywhere else in the apartment. So yeah, I had to be at work. Uh, I was a little grumpy, but it was fine. Everyone at work had already seen it. So they were like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. And then I got off a little early that day. So I just went back to the hotel and they have uh, blackout shades, which I don't have in my room. So Ooh. I slept really comfortably all day. That's amazing. So yes, for everybody listening, Naomi is a news anchor and I always feel like, you know, I'm in the the thick of like the baby sleep deprivation time of my life. And I always feel like if anybody can relate to my sleep deprivation, deprivation that isn't a parent, it's a news anchor. That's probably true. Except imagine having my job and having kids like I don't, but a lot of women do, or, Ugh. you know, at one point had little babies around. So I don't know how they do. I mean, there is a plus side because again, I'm off work at 10, 11 or noon. So that helps a lot of families of parenting because, you know, if dad's at work all day, then mom, when she gets off in the morning, can do child care. But I can't imagine taking care of a baby right now. And I love kids, but I'm so tired when I get off work. I'm like, I couldn't do it. So I know I, I admire you guys and what you have to do because, and with three, you know, you never know when's, when one's going to have a bad night or be cranky or sick or whatever. Yeah. I actually, I just tweeted something last night. I was like, I lay in bed at night and I hear like phantom cries and I also just feel like I'm going to open my eyes and someone's going to, well, really only our oldest Marshall is the only one that can get out and come. But I always yeah. feel like I'm just going to wake up and he's going to be standing like two feet from my face. Um, Which probably happens sometimes. Too. It does. And, you know, like even this morning it was like 445 and you were probably already at work because you worked today, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Glenn came upstairs and he was like, hey, your interview's on TV right now. 
Um, <laughs> but I, um, I was rocking Russ and, and uh, feeding him, and I, I could just hear, you know, you just feel someone's presence, and I could just feel that Marshall was in the right. room. Right. Second I stood up, he just, I hear his little feet pitter-patter back to his room. Um, <laughs> he was standing right there. Just standing there, creeping. It's so oh, creepy. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, okay, Naomi, let's tell everybody. So Naomi works here uh, for the NBC affiliate at WTHR in Indianapolis, but can you tell everybody just a little bit about your, um, you know, where you grew up? You're from Indy and in your career path a little bit. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up, I was actually born in Minneapolis, but my family moved to Indianapolis when I was a tiny baby before my first birthday. So Indy is definitely home, although I've lived in a lot of states. Um, in my 20s, I think I, I turned 30 this summer. So I think I'll have lived in six states in my 20s. So I, uh, after I graduated from North Central High School, um, I went to Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. And then after that, I got my first TV job. Um, I spent the summer after I graduated crying and applying to 150 news stations, just hoping anyone would let me work for them. <laughs> um, so I took my first job in Tucson, Arizona, uh, where I was what they call a one-man band. You'll see that a lot more now in TV, but I had my own camera. Um, I edited my own video and all that most of the time. I had a photographer wow. sometimes, but um, yeah, it was a tough job. But now, you know, even some really big markets are doing it. So it's kind of making it come back for better or worse. But yeah, so I did that for two years. I was a morning show reporter and one man band. Um, and then after that, I got a job in Minneapolis as a reporter there, which was just a general assignment reporter. Uh, so I, I had a photographer all the time, but I was working there for about, I worked there for three years and all, but about a year and a half in, I would say, um, my assistant news director. So the guy who hired me and uh, he was also a close mentor of mine basically said we needed more people on the bench, um, for anchoring. And I never really saw myself as an anchor, but I always kind of wanted to try it and to be doing it in Minneapolis. I was like, there's no way they're going to let me do this. So I uh, did a few test runs. I anchored a couple of little shifts and um, it was awful. <laughs> I was a horrible. I was so bad at it, but they really needed someone. So I was kind of lucky. Um, and so I kept doing it and I got a little better at it. And eventually I started doing it a lot more, but it was still just kind of on a fill in basis when they needed someone. So uh, a position opened here at Channel 13 which again is my hometown and channel 13 is a really good station. And so long before my contract was over in Minneapolis, I just kind of started feeling out what the opportunity was, how soon they were looking to fill. And they were interested. I was interested, but I had to fill out most of the rest of my contract in Minneapolis. So I started here um, in July of 2014 and I've been here ever since. And I do the uh, weekend morning show. So it's a it's typically a three-hour show with a one-hour break for the Today Show, um, and I anchor with my meteorologist, Kelly Green. We're really close friends, and so it's just the two of us for the most part, and then Matt McCutcheon, who is our reporter most of the time. Uh, so we have a we have a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's weekend morning, so we get to have a little more fun than, um, I think, the weekday show, just because there's less news to cover and more events to cover, so we get to do a lot of that. And then during the week, um, I either report... So I'm out in the field or I fill an anchor. So I kind of do a mix of everything. So you didn't, you didn't initially think you wanted to be an anchor? Not really. Um, you know, I'd gone to journalism school. Well, at first I wanted my dream job as a little kid was to be like the editor of Vogue or Cosmo. That was like my dream. Um, so I went to Northwestern and I kind of got involved in the magazine stuff and um, I tried their TV 
network one day just as like an extracurricular thing. And I was like, this is so much more fun Um, because I do love and I think that was kind of my draw to fashion magazine. I do love like fashion and makeup and clothes and all that stuff um, and lifestyle and that kind of thing. So I think TV gave me a little bit more of a chance to kind of combine those two passions. So yeah, I ended up in TV and then I still though was like, I'm a reporter, you know, I want to be out there in the field. And I think a lot of people, when you first start, that is like living the dream. But after a couple of years doing that, I mean, I did it in like the hottest climate in Tucson. And then I did it in the coldest climate in Minneapolis. And it's, it's actually a tough, like physical job, because you're out there in the elements, you're out there for several hours at a time on breaking news, you know, sometimes you don't even get a bathroom break. And so when I started anchoring, I was like, wow, this is kind of nice to have this break and have more kind of manager perspective over the content as opposed to here's my one story for the day, go out and do it. Mm-hmm. As an anchor, you kind of get to be an expert on all things. And again, it is nice to have that break from the physical part of being out there for several hours at a time. What What was your degree in? Um, so it, at Northwestern, it's um, a bachelor's of science for journalism. I don't know why, but uh, so I have a bachelor's of science in uh, journalism and international studies And the way they do it there, you don't get like a special degree for TV or newspaper or web media or whatever. It's just a journalism degree. And then I have like my path was broadcast, but it's just a couple different classes. So my degree, I just have a bachelor's in uh, journalism and international studies. So when you first started, um, like when you were out in the field, I was actually, we have like this supper club that we do and it's four couples and one of my friends, Sarah, I don't know if you know her. Do you know Sarah Holsapple? Yeah, not well, but I know who she is because she was a, she was a reporter and anchor for a while, right? Yeah, she was. And she was kind of talking about, uh, you know, the job and everything. And I think she ended up, she does uh, PR. She actually just launched her own um, PR firm, but. Oh, very. Was she an IPL? Yes. Or. Okay, yes, that's how I know the name. Okay. Yeah, she was at IPL for a long time and she just um she just finished up there and just launched I think it's she's it's called Whole Sapple Communications. So she's kinda of going Very out cool. on her own. Yeah. Um cool. but she was kinda of talking about that process a little bit and like you said, like sen- sending her headshot out to a million different people and just like right. taking any job she could get and um I think just like that decision for her to like step away from it was just like the the hours were crazy and Yeah. I mean and so many people do it. It's I think, you know, in the beginning, people who make it through that first job usually hang on for a couple more years, and then you start to see more and more people get out. And it's kind of just the norm. I mean, I love it right now, but I I don't know in five years how I'll feel. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I love it, but I also, again, am not married with kids, and I don't know how people do it. Because when something crazy happens, you're kind of just expected to be there, and if you've got kids, I mean, you're missing events, games, family dinners, things like that. I mean, I'm so flexible right now and that's a great advantage, but you know, it's, it's tough when you've got other things to worry about. Yeah. So when you were in, I'm just, I just was, you know, kind of like reading up on your bio and everything before we had our conversation. And, um, when you were in Arizona, you were one of the first on the scene when Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords was shot. Yeah, that was a pretty crazy couple weeks. So it was in January of 2011. Um, My dad passed away in December of 2010. So I came home. He died in a car accident. So it was very sudden, unexpected. 
So I came home to Indy. Um, I was here for, you know, the funeral. I was here for about two weeks. And then I flew back to Tucson. And, you know, when you have a close family member die, you are just surrounded by friends and family for for weeks on end. And it's, it's nice. It's comforting. But at the same time, you kind of crave that alone time. And, um, I'd gone back to Tucson. I was working, I worked that Monday through Friday and Saturday was like my first day to just be in my apartment and be alone. And I was so looking forward to it. Um, and I slept in, you know, cause I worked that crazy shift. I had slept in and I woke up all these text messages and, uh, you know, phone calls that something was going on. And so I turned on the TV and CNN was already reporting that there had been a shooting and I lived probably, I would say maybe 10 minutes, eight to 10 minutes from the grocery store. So, um, I immediately got up and like my hair was a mess, you know, but I'm like, they're about to call me in five minutes to get there. So yeah, I, I started getting ready immediately. My boss called, she's like, how soon can you be there? I'm like 10 minutes. So I got there and it was still, I mean, there was probably, I think there was one person from my station there, maybe two or three from the other affiliates in town, and then just a ton of officers. I mean, I don't even think everyone had been, like, all the all the people who'd been injured or killed were had been removed from the scene yet by the time I got there. That's how, and it was just by chance because I lived so close and I'd woken up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that kind of launched probably a month of, you know, just nonstop uh, work. I mean, that's what happens when you work in a small market like that too. And something like that big happens because things big like that don't happen very often. So it's pretty much all hands on deck. And in some ways it was kind of a, it was kind of not, not a good recovery, but it, it did kind of help me cope with my dad's death because again, it was so sudden and, and I kind of felt this connection to all these other families that had lost people because again, for them, it was the same thing. I mean, they're family members had gone to, obviously they were murdered, but they had gone to this meet and greet with the congresswoman that morning at a grocery store. You know, that's all they were there for and Mm -hmm. didn't come home. And so, you know, I remember my news director kind of checking on me at one point and being like, are you okay? And I was like, oddly, I am. Like, it's kind of a nice escape, but also a weird connection that I can feel with these people who are just Mm -hmm. going through something so unexpected. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was just, it was an insane couple of weeks, but, um, Tucson's a great, it's a really great community. They have the university of Arizona is there and then they have a lot of snowbirds. So kind of an older community. It's, it's a cool place to live and they have recovered so well. And so has Gabby. So it's been kind of cool to watch that over the years too. When you got to the scene, were you, was it, I mean, were you scared? Had they caught the shooter yet? Um, I can't remember. Oh my gosh. I can't even remember I if they caught remember, the shooter. I'm yeah. assuming I can't remember. Yes, they had, because he was one of the, um, one of the people who was there, I think he was maybe working for the congresswoman at the time. He kind of like tackled this guy to the ground, a couple with a, another, there were a couple other people who kind of helped him. And yes, he had been, um, he had been detained at the time, but it wasn't scary. It just was a so much, it was such a bigger crime scene than mm-hmm. what we were used to. I mean, I covered a ton of crime. Um, Tucson is only an hour from the border. So there's a lot of border mm-hmm. and drug crime there. And so I had been at a number of crime scenes, but this was just, first of all, it wasn't in a part of town that crime normally happened. Um, and it was just so the the big area that it covered, I mean, it was the entire parking lot. Um, and where we were, I mean, we were so close in the beginning, eventually within probably an hour or so, like I didn't even have a photographer at that point. And I didn't have any gear with me either. Like all my camera and stuff was at the station. I didn't have any of that. Um, by the time they got to us, we were already moved across the street and, you know, 
everyone was, it was just such a shock, I think, for everybody, um, especially in Tucson. It was just such a cute town and um, great community. But I mean, as we've seen, that kind of stuff happens everywhere. Yeah, man. Um, so then how long after that did you move to uh, Minneapolis? So that happened in January and I started in Minneapolis, I think it was August. So um, after that happened and things kind of calmed down, um, I started looking around. My contract was up that summer and I love Tucson, but you know, you start somewhere and if, unless you have ties or you get married or, you know, something you, you, most people leave. So, um, I moved to Minneapolis that summer. So, um, it was probably five or six months later. So do you think you're here to stay in Indy or are you, I mean, I always wonder, like, do you have, do you have dreams of, of going on the national scene or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, I do love it here. It's great being home, but I don't want to close the door on anything. I mean, I'll be honest, if the Today Show calls me tomorrow, <laughs> I'm going to answer, you know, and I'm going to consider the opportunity. Um, but those positions are just so Ugh. hard to come by for so many reasons. And a lot of it's based on talent, but a lot of it's based on being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right people. And so, you know, I, I'm definitely open to anything. Of course, it's nice to be home. But again, I have that flexibility of kind of not being tied down here. My mm -hmm. mom is in town, but... My siblings both live out of state and um, like all my cousins, my parents' siblings, none of them are in Indiana. So while this definitely feels like home to me, I I could really go anywhere. So, you know, I really, I don't know. I'm just kind of hanging tight and I'm fortunate to be at a place where I'm not trying to run out the door, which I think, you know, a lot of journalists feel at a point because newsrooms just can be a little bit wonky like that. You, you, you experience something bad and you want to leave. So I'm lucky to be working somewhere where I haven't experienced that. Um, but I'm definitely open to opportunities. So for everybody listening, this is actually how Naomi and I met. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in 2000, was that, gosh, 2014, I guess it was? Yeah. You it must have been. Yeah, because that's when you started, right? Right. Yeah. So in 2014, I had the opportunity to be on the cover of Women's Running Magazine, and I was kind of telling my story about, which I actually, and I told you this in our email, Naomi, I haven't talked about this on the podcast at all. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird. I'm like, this will be episode 58 or 59. and I. Oh, my goodness. I know. And I just, like, haven't brought it up. But for people who have kind of been, like, following my blog or, you know, read the women's running story, they kind of know this about me. But um, so I'll just give a quick quick snippet of that situation. And then we, yeah. can, we can talk about how that's related to both of us. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. So in... Quick story, in 2014, Women's Running had a contest to be on the cover of their magazine, and Saucony sponsored it, and it was a, um, you had to share a story of your Find Your Strong moment, and I really related to that topic because earlier that year, the previous year, I had found out I tested positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation, um, which is a mutation that puts you at a very high risk of breast and, and a very, uh, what would you say, would you say moderate risk of ovarian cancer? Yeah, I mean, it's high enough that with such a dangerous cancer, I consider it a high risk, but yeah. I think it's like 40-something. Yeah. So I was training for a half marathon or a half Ironman during that process, and I kind of just used my training as like, I was terrified. I was terrified to get the test, but I made myself do it. And I think in my training, it really brought me to the place where I was like, had the guts to go get the test done. And then, long story short, I elected to have a prophylactic double mastectomy, and so my find my strong find your strong moment was kind of just um, 
facing a fear <laughs> and <laughs> using that training uh, to do that. But interestingly enough, Naomi is also, so I'm positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation and Naomi, you are BRCA1, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. I haven't even looked at my papers in so long, but yes, I think it's, I, this is how bad it is. I'm that I have not had the surgery, but yes, I think I'm BRCA1. So, um, I think that's what you mentioned to me, um, when we had met and it's interesting because when I knew that about you and then you told me that your dad had passed away, I kind of assumed he had passed away from cancer. Which is why a lot of people get the test. I mean, you had a family history too, didn't you? Yeah. So my grandma had breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And so then, um, my mom okay. was tested and she was positive. And it's, um, if one of your parents is positive, you have like a 50, 50 chance of, of testing positive as well. But why did you get the test? I got the test um, because my dad's mom, so my grandma also, she died of breast cancer um, in her 50s. And um, when I got tested, so I was a junior in college because I remember I was living in my sorority house at the time. Um, and my parents both work in the medical field and they, you know, genetic testing wasn't that big. So I guess if I was in junior in college, it must have been like 2007, 2008. So, um, it wasn't as common and because they'd heard about it and knew that, you know, my dad's mom had died of it. My dad was still alive at the time. They were like, why don't we, you know, get the kids tested? We can talk to them about it. And, um, you know, I didn't have that fear because I was so young and I really, it was just such a far off mm -hmm. thought mm -hmm. and I didn't quite understand what it was either. So, um, you know, we got the test and my sister was negative. I was positive. My brother still doesn't have his results, um, although he does have a little girl. So I know they've kind of talked about what they're going to do. But um, mine was kind of a mixture, I think, of my parents' curiosity and also family history. Um, and, you know, I think I was shocked by the results. But again, it's gotten so much media over mm -hmm. the past three or four years that I feel like I didn't take it as seriously back then as I do now where, you know, I do try my best. I'm not always on time, but to get checked every six months. Um, you know, I've had biopsies that probably the, the average woman would have never gotten, you know, they would have been like, Oh, it's something funky on your ultrasound, but we're not going to worry about it. That kind of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm happy I did it, but I also have friends who, um, have a family history and have opted not to do it. And I mm -hmm. totally respect that decision too. I mean, mm -hmm. It's not an easy decision to make, especially because you just don't know what the outcome is going to be. And with such a high percentage chance of getting cancer when you have the gene, I mean, you don't want to live your life like, okay, it's a death sentence, you know, but it is, in my opinion, knowledge is power. And I, I'm happy to know about it because I just think I'm more aware of any changes in my body or anything like that. I think that was it. Like, that's why, I, so you were in your early 20, you were like 20 when you got tested, right? Yeah, I think 19 or 20. So yeah, you were in a completely different um, time of your life. So I was 29 and I had just had my first kid. So I was kind of like in that mindset of like, gosh, I really just want to know because I, it's something about, at least for me, and I don't know if other people can relate is as soon as I have my, had my first baby, like my like mortality. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> what I want more than anything in the world is to see my kids grow up. You know, like that's, right. that's like my first thought. The thought of missing their life is what is probably my biggest fear. So, so when I, I think it was like, I got the test and then I was like, you know, 
I'm scared either way, which is why I ended up getting the test because I'm like, I'm scared whether I know or whether I don't know. And I'm constantly sitting here thinking I probably have it. So I might as well just know so I can be proactive. I just was scared to know. (laughs) Well, yeah, because even if you don't find out, I feel like you still know you have a chance of it. Mm -hmm. And then it's, is it that any better, you know, than just knowing to begin with. But I also, you know, I, I totally understand just being like, you know, if it happens, it happens. And I'm going to be proactive about checking. I mean, I think, I think it was GMA. They had a, um, Good Morning America had a staffer. Oh yeah. Amy Robach. Oh, this week. Oh, I thought you were. Well, they had, no, they had a younger, they had a younger staffer who got tested and had a double mastectomy this, I mean, the, t- the surgery was a couple weeks ago, but she came forward with her story this week and they had some video of her. I think she was a producer or something, but they had some video of her kind of like walking around downtown New York. And I just looked at it. I was like, God, she's so young. But then I thought, you know, like I knew at her age mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I still haven't opted to get the surgery. I think partially because I, w- I want to have children and I want to be able to breastfeed my children. But in the long run, obviously, I'd rather be here and they have formula than um, <laughs> than me not be here, you know. So at some point, I think I'm just kind of waiting until I feel like, okay, this is the time. And frankly, you know, I it might be nice to get a new set at some point. I know, right. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And if you think about that, you're like, well, I can breastfeed my kids and then I can uh, get that surgery and have some new boobs. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Get some new ones. I think, you know, I think the ovarian surgery is a little scarier. It's, you know, more invasive, but the cancer is a little scarier too. So totally. Yes, exactly. And the thought of the, you know, like as soon as we're for sure done having kids, I'm, I'm going to do that surgery as well. But the thought of having like a going through menopause, like a hysterectomy in my late thirties or whatever does not right. sound like fun, but but it's, it's better to be here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I get the breastfeeding thing too, because, um, you know, I didn't get the surgery until after I had Marshall and I did breastfeed him. And obviously I haven't been able to breastfeed Lewis or Russell, but sometimes I see other women doing that and I'm not jealous of them. I'm a little bit just like miss that connection a little bit, you know, right with my baby. And I actually even like sometimes feel like for instance, my um, good friend, Emily, who also has a baby the same age as Russ, you know, she's very connected to her baby and I'm very connected to my baby. I love my baby, but my husband can do 50%, you know, of all the work. It is very nice. It is very, very (laughs) nice. Like the middle of the night thing has been, it's been amazing. But that being said, I just, sometimes I get that like feeling that maybe I don't have that like you know, bond because, right. you know, there's just something to be said for some kid eating on your boob. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty close relationship. I mean, yeah, my, my sister, I've, I have uh, two nephews and a niece and my sister, I swear, breastfed both boys for probably till they were almost one. But then my sister-in-law, you know, she only breastfed for a couple months and all the babies are wonderful and right. beautiful and smart and they're all great and fine, you know? Yes. But but I obviously I can't totally relate to breastfeeding, but I, I know I can see, you know, that especially nowadays with the science we have, I mean, your kids are going to turn out fine, whether you do it or not. It's just something I've always kind of wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But if I miss out on that opportunity, it's just kind of the way life is. And I think I'll be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a special experience, but that being said, yeah, I mean, my kids, yeah, your kids are fine no matter what breast milk or formula. 
Do you, I've always wondered this. I actually was like, I almost texted you the other day because I did like three weeks ago. I had my, um, I do the ovary ultrasound every six months and okay. the CA-125 and everything was great um, this time. But it had been like a while since I'd done it because they don't check you when you're pregnant. Um, uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, because your CA-125, which for those people listening, it's um, it's a blood level. It's a blood, something in your blood that they check. And what the CA-125 does is it uh, checks for like inflammation in your pelvic area and it can be an indicator of ovarian and uterine cancer. So I was like super anxious as I am every time. And even though, you know, I wasn't having pain or, you know, anything, any reason, it's just preventative, but it's still like, man, it's anxiety going in. And you're really, I think you're the only young person I know that is positive for BRCA. I mean, I'm sure there's more that are, but don't, don't know. Right. Don't talk about it. Um, Yeah. I mean, do you get that anxiety though? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I had my biopsy, um, a couple of years ago and, and then I also had, um, I had another scan too, that was one of those things where they, you know, first you wait for the first callback, then the first Mm -hmm. callback tells you one thing and it's either no or wait, we need more information. And then, so sometimes, I mean, with my biopsy, I think it was like, first callback, second callback, third callback. And then finally they're like, okay, we're pretty sure it's nothing. Okay. We're really sure it's nothing. So it's like, it takes forever. And the whole time you're like, wait, like if I have cancer, like, shouldn't I be doing something? Right. And am I just living my life right now? And I shouldn't be, but I don't see any, I don't notice any problem. I mean, and that's, what's kind of scary about breast cancer is like, unless you notice a lump, a lot of times you don't even know it's there. And yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally get that fear sometimes. And then I kind of remind myself too, that like, I mean, my, again, my grandmother died of breast cancer in her fifties, but that was so long ago. Mm -hmm. And I know people Mm -hmm. still do die of breast cancer, but I just, I hope that especially by the time our kids are adults, that it won't be something that people even die of anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that made me get teary. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. Yeah. And I, I have lately, as I've gotten older, I've tried to like deal with this fear a little bit, you know, like address it. And, um, you know, I talked to my doctor about it and they kind of say cognitive behavioral therapy is probably the way to go. But I try to put myself in this position, like Lindsay, if you go to the doctor and you get your results or whatever, and something is wrong, like, how is that going to change how you live your life? Like, are you just going to be paralyzed in fear? And Um, a lot of times even, you know, like weeks, a week leading up to my test, I know I have the test and then I know I have to wait a day to get my results. Like I would almost like let myself be paralyzed in fear, like leading up to the appointment because I would be, um, just anticipating, you know? Right. Um, so I've tried to be extremely proactive and just saying like, you're going to go, you're going to go about your everyday business. You're going to live your life. And then if something is wrong, you're still going to do that, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, that's a great way to look at it. And you, because you are being proactive or I'm being proactive, it just puts us at less risk anyways. I mean, and people without the genes still right. get breast and ovarian cancer. And sometimes I feel like, well, they're not going as often as I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a great spot that at least I, I know this and I know what to look out for. And if something seems funky, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to call. I mean, I had an appendicitis um, probably, it must have been like almost two years ago now. Um, and I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, is this ovarian cancer? Oh, you know, it yeah. was it kind of hurt in that same sort of general area. 
And, you know, normally I think if I hadn't had my results or had the test, I might just be like, I got a bad stomach ache and like gone to bed, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was like, this feels worse than usual. And I went in and they didn't end up even doing surgery. I just got antibiotics and it got rid of it. But it's one of those things where like you just you're just more aware. And in some way, I feel like that kind of karma, it doesn't protect you. You can absolutely still get sick, but it's just a good feeling to know that like, okay, I have control over as much of it as I can. I don't have control over the whole thing, but I'm as much as I can, I'm controlling. And that kind of makes me feel better. Yeah. When I went in to talk to the, my breast surgeon for the first time, like right after I found out my results and I kind of went around and talked to different doctors, um, he walked in the room and he said, well, you're a really lucky young lady. And I was like, what? (laughs) But he has a great point. He's like, you saw the train coming, you're making, you know, decisions to, to stop it. And you're right. You're educated on it. So, um, and that being said, you know, um, with my mastectomy, yeah, I mean, like, I always feel like I say that word wrong, but <laughs> I think that's right. It's a hard word to say. It is right. That surgery was, you know, it's kind of an intense surgery, but I have to say like with my, I just have like silicone implants and, um, my boobs are way better now than they ever were before. Yeah, exactly. I can't <laughs> wait for mine. Yeah. And if I could go back, I would go a little bit bigger, but I'm good just where I'm at. <laughs> you still can at some point. <laughs> that's true. It's funny because when I had the surgery, I was in probably the best shape of my life. It was just after I'd done that half Ironman. And so I was, you know, probably the lightest weight I've ever been as well. And, um, I had no boobs cause I just breastfed <laughs> my son and like, I was completely deflated. And so anything seemed, uh, like a good size. Big. To me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you were running pretty soon after, weren't you? Yeah, I took, like, the standards, like, I basically, in my years of, like, babies and surgeries, I always just take, like, the standard six weeks off, just just to give myself and my body the break that it needs, and, and I... And to heal. Yeah, and I really actually enjoy those uh, six weeks. Kind of can chill out and not, not feel the pressure that you have to go do something, although I know you enjoy it, but, like, yeah, not right. having to worry about it, just, like, this is me time to not do it. Yeah, and um, I will say the... The most and uh, probably the grossest part is just like the drainage tubes, you know, that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also said it, my son was 18 months, my oldest. And I said I it would be e- I was home with them, too. I was like, it would be easier for me to get up and go into an office and work for eight hours. <laughs> right. Than, like, try to right. take care of this little child who has no idea what, you no. know, what I just did. So. And it's Marshall, who's like the silliest, goofiest little man ever. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> I have to tell you, that's something I really appreciate about you. I feel like someone who doesn't have children might say your kids are cute or whatever, but I always feel like you have a genuine interest in my kids. <laughs> I Well, when I met Marshall, what, so he must have been he not even two yet. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I just, yeah. his, his little voice mm-hmm. cracked me up and he still has that kind of yes. raspy He's just the sweetest thing. He really does still have that little raspy voice. So speaking of kids, you're like super aunt. Yes. I, well, I, I try to be super aunt. That's your thing Although, though. I mean, I, I love them so much. They're not here. So when I'm with them, it's like the happiest thing ever. Um, my two nephews live in Dallas and they are just like the funniest little boys. They, you know, the older one is kind of the more rambunctious one and the little one, kind of tries to be like him, but can't quite figure it out yet. You know, they're, but they're, they have totally different personalities and they're so funny. And, um, yeah, I just adore them. And then my brother's daughter, Maya is 
just like a sweet, she's kind of just a sweetheart. You know, she's very like quiet and gentle. Um, so when they get together, it's funny because she sometimes will torment the other two. And it's like, where's that coming from? But it's because she's not used to it. So she takes advantage when she can torment the other two. So yeah, I, I love being an aunt and spoiling them. And then when they're cranky, my sister or brother have to take <laughs> care of them. So it's kind of nice. But so do they both live in Texas? No, my brother um, and his wife and Maya, they live in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So they're all kind of over the place. I'll see them. Well, I won't, they don't know if they're coming for Passover, but Passover is next weekend. So I'll see my nephews then. So how happy is it your mom that you live here then? She loves it. Um, we do, you know, I, I utilize her to take me out to fancy dinners that I probably wouldn't do on my own. Uh, um, and yeah, so she, she lives in Carmel, which is on the North side of the city and I live downtown, but she works downtown. So we'll often, you know, on our way home from work. And since I have to go to bed early, she'll be like, want to grab dinner. And so we'll do like an early six o'clock dinner somewhere. And, um, yeah, I mean, she, she loves having me here. It's funny because, you know, I've been on TV almost every day for the past six years of my life. And when I moved home, all of a sudden my mom's like watches all the time. I mean, she's, she used to watch anyways, like when she could, but now that all it takes is just turning on the TV. She's like, Oh, I liked that dress. Oh, that dress wasn't my favorite. Or, Oh, you were on this morning. Or if I'm not on and I, she doesn't know why I get like six frantic phone calls and I'm like, mom, I'm off today. So it's just funny. Cause I'm <laughs> like, do you, you realize I've been doing this for a while. It's just that now I'm in my hometown. And she's like, I know, but it's just so different when you're like here and like she thinks it's funny people will run into her or like, you know, she'll pay for something. And people see the name on the card and she'll be like, oh, are you Naomi's mom? And she's <laughs> like, well, yes, I am. I am her mom. And it's just it's kind of funny because you don't get that when you work out of state. But your mom, does she is she work at Lily? Yeah, she's at Lily. Yeah. So, you she's know, she's like a big wig job up there, right? Yeah, she's she you know, she was at Riley for a really long time. She was a the CEO there for a while after she was a practicing physician for a long time. Um, and then she was CEO and then she went to Michigan for a couple of years and came back. So, you know, growing up, it was like, oh, you're Aura's daughter. Uh-huh. So now we think it's kind of funny that, you know, I still get that. I totally still get that. But when she'll be at work and someone will be like, do you know Naomi? And she'll be like, well, yes, you know, I, I gave birth to her. In fact, <laughs> I, know, I know her pretty well. Uh, so, yeah, we have a really close relationship. We relate a lot on jobs and career. And, you know, I've made decisions in my life to put my career above you know, um, romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of helped me with that, even though we don't always agree. And I think she wishes I were married with three babies right now. But because, <laughs> um, you know, despite her career, she was married at 23 and had all of us before I think she was 32. So, wow. you know, but at the same time, things have just changed so much. And I don't feel that same pressure, I think, that she probably felt when she was growing into womanhood. I mean, of course, I want all those things. But I would say probably half my friends are married with kids, not even with kids, probably half my friends are married and half aren't. And the babies are kind of for for my age group, just kind of starting now. Mm -hmm. And I think when I was in high school, I would have assumed, oh, I'm going to be married with babies by the time I'm 30. And I'm kind of cool with not being, you know, I'm, I'm dating someone right now who I really like, and that's kind of fun. And if it doesn't work out, I will be sad, but I still feel like it's not the end of my life. You know, I, I have so many other things to live for and, I still want all those things, but if they don't happen tomorrow, I'm not going to grieve over it. How did you meet your boyfriend? We met on Bumble, which I am very proud to say. Um, Love because it. I, I had been dating 
like several people for the past year, kind of on and off a bunch of different people that I'd met on Bumble or other dating apps. And, um, I kind of thought actually it was just Bumble, but I kind of thought, okay, this is never going to work. You know, I, I'd been single and I was like, I'm never going to meet someone. And a friend was like, try Bumble or try, you know, whatever online Tinder or whatever. Okay. Cupid. And I was like, no, I'm never going to meet anyone. Like, especially what I do for a living, like Mm -hmm. they're going to know what I do. And you can find everything out about me with one Google search. This is never going to work. And I had plenty of dates. I went on a ton of dates, a lot of really bad ones, some good ones, you know, dated people for a while. And when the last one ended, I was like, ugh, like not going to meet someone online and living in the city. And I'm Jewish and, you know, the Jewish community is very small. And I felt like I knew every Jewish guy in town. And, um, finally this one, I was like, okay, I'll just go on another date, whatever. And, um, I'd been on another day that day. Actually, he was my second date of the day. Um, (laughs) it was, it was the night before the election and I tried to say no. Um, but he was so hot. I was like, well, (laughs) I guess, I guess I could just go for a quick drink and we were out way too late. Um, and I had to work the next morning, but I don't know. It just, I think, you know, people ask me all the time, like you had to online date, like, yeah, because oh anybody who's listening, look Naomi up. She's beautiful. Well, not not necessarily that, but just like, you know, I've, I've got stuff going on. You know, I shouldn't have to meet in like the stigma of – and it, it started like kind of weirding me out. And in fact, one guy who I met, I didn't meet him in person, but we've been talking on Bumble, asked me that and was like, what are you doing on Bumble? <laughs> and I'm like, well, what are you doing on Bumble? Like if you're such <laughs> hot stuff, you know? Um, and, yeah. you know, my, my boyfriend is like the most amazing guy. He's – sweet and smart and hot bumble is the same or any dating app is the same as meeting someone at a bar except you have some background information i mean that's literally all it is you have some research that's good exactly exactly so i did all my research and um it was a great date and it's been great i i like to talk about it because i feel like it gives some girls hope i mean i know a lot of girls my women my age who are like oh i tried it and i gave up and i'm like I thought I was going to give up too. And then all I needed was that one date and now it's awesome. So now tell me why Bumble, like as opposed to match or, or uh, what's the one called uh, Tinder? Um, Tinder. So, you know, I wasn't against Tinder. I just Tinder. And I actually know some couples who've been married after meeting on Tinder. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to like start it slow and Bumble felt like so for Bumble, the girl has to message oh, first. Oh, that's right. Okay, I knew that. Right. Okay. So you both have to match, but then you have to message first. And I sort of like that idea because with something like Tinder, you can swipe on someone and then they can message you all they want. And mm-hmm. I didn't like that. I wanted to be able to like, okay, I'll swipe and then I'm going to do my little bit of research and then I'll decide if I want to message you. Um, so I liked that part of it. And I just, from what I'd heard, and again, this is different in every city, but from what I'd heard... Bumble was like the better one in indie. And I think that was because Tinder was around first. And so people had already kind of run through Tinder. Um, and the other ones like Match and eHarmony, they are paid. And so it's not that I was, I would have paid. I was not against doing that. Um, but I just, I wanted to try things out on Bumble first. And since I'd met some people on it, I was like, okay, I can stick with this for a little while. Although I know like Match and eHarmony are much more in depth. And again, mm-hmm. I know people, I know couples that have met on match Andy harmony. I mean, you take this long questionnaire and it, it's like everything about you and it matches you with someone. And, um, that's all great. I just, I wasn't quite there yet. I mean, I, I think if I had still been kind of looking after, you know, maybe two years, I probably would have done that, but I just wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. My sister met her husband on match 
Oh, really? Yeah, and my best friend Sarah is dating someone now. I think they've been dating since like December, and they met online. But I don't know. I don't know which app. I don't know. Okay. I don't know They're if it was kind of Bumble similar. Tinder, and I I know she did match for a while, but um. But tell me this. Let's let's debunk this a little bit because I feel like um everybody kind of just assumed Tinder was the hookup app. I mean, again, I've never been on it, but um again, I know people who have met longtime partners. I know a reporter actually in Minneapolis whose husband, they met on Tinder. They did a story about it too. Um, and you know, I think maybe it was originally, but I also feel like if by your late twenties, if you're just on online looking for a hookup, it's going to be pretty apparent right Right, away. So even if you get sucked into a date with someone, I mean, why wouldn't, if that's what you're looking for, why wouldn't you just go to the bar and get that, you know, if you're going to spend the time to make a profile and check a profile and chat with someone, then, you know, you're probably looking for something more. But again, I mean, there are, I've heard stories, plenty of stories from Bumble and Tinder and even Match and Harmony of people who just wanted to hook up. But I think they're all very similar, frankly. I just, the reason I liked Bumble was because I could message first and because I felt like it had a good selection. But I mean, and a lot of the people are on both. So you run into kind of the same people. I have girlfriends who we match with the same people. Well, yeah. And um, like Sarah, I like have to live all this through her because I've been married (laughs) for so long. Um, But, and actually I feel like once we, when we got married, I don't even know if any of this was even a thing yet, but Yeah. So yeah, she's like showed me like the different profiles and all that. And people from high school, like old, you know, people that she hasn't seen in years that happen to live in Indy will like show up on her feed. Oh yeah. That is super awkward. Yeah. Do you just scroll on by like, okay. Yeah. I always like, I had this thing when I, whenever that happened to me, I would like swipe left and then I'd be like, oh, they probably never even saw it. I swipe left so fast. Even though like, I know if I saw them, they probably saw it. And then swiping left mean not interested. Yes, means not interested. Yeah. So there were people I'm like, oh, yeah, they probably had no idea. And then I'm like, no, they definitely saw it. And you know what? Screw it. Because frankly, like, I don't care. Like, is it better to say that you met your boyfriend at a bar or through people? I mean, why does it really matter? I, I think I was stuck. I was stuck to that perception, too, of like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, I can never say I met someone online. And now I'm like, it's so great that people that we are able to meet online and like, and again, to know those kinds of things. I mean, I knew things about my boyfriend that he didn't tell me until a little while in. But like, I think we both knew. And same with me. We both knew that we knew them. It was just a matter of like, I know this about you. And I'm going to wait until you're ready to bring it up. Or it wasn't like a sh- nothing was really a huge shock. And the things that were are like fun little surprises that you're like, huh. You know, I never knew that you were into this or this was your favorite band or whatever. So I'm totally a proponent of online dating and I would tell any woman that has kind of given up on dating in general or is scared to go online. I mean, it's not any different than meeting someone at a bar. In fact, I think it's better. Yeah, I would 100% I would do it if I was single right now for sure. Yeah. Um, now, the other only other thing I want to ask for that with Tinder, though, isn't it like you're traveling and you can like travel into a city and like put that you're there? Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like people see like band members doing that or something. Yeah. Well, Bumble is actually the same way. So I had a few um, where I didn't realize that at first. And I'd be like, oh, you know, three miles away. And we'd be talking for a while and he would be like, okay, well, um, I'm going to go out tonight. And of course, I never go out on Fridays and Saturdays. And so he'd be like, well, I'm going to go out tonight. Like, hopefully we can meet up. Um, and then I'm hitting the road tomorrow, not like a band member, but you know, they were in town right. for something. And I'd be like, 
oh, you don't live here? And they're like, no. And then I look, look at the profile and it's like, lives in Orlando or whatever. And I'm like, oh, then why am I even talking to you? Like, like you just want to hook up tonight. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, and there's girls who want to do that too. Right. So, right. Know, power to them. Um, but I'd be like, oh no, I can't hang out tonight. Like you want to do dinner next week? And he's like, no, like, no, I don't live here. I'm like, oh, okay. So once I figured that out, I was like, if I wasn't sure based on their profile, I would ask, I'd be like, so do you live in town? And then if they were like, no, I live in wherever I'd be like, okay, that's nice to talk to you, but I'm not interested. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I hundred percent would, I'm with you there. I would do it for sure. Okay. So I want to ask you this with, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit to your mom. What do you think, do you think having a mom that, like, what is her position at Lily? She is the executive vice president of U.S. Medical. So she's in the executive branch, but it's such a huge company. There's a lot of different people that run different things. So she does the medical side for U.S. And she there's like sales and medicine, and then she's on the medical side. Okay. And then she used to be the CEO of Riley. So obviously, like, she's had a very successful career. Do you think kind of having a mom that's had a career like that? Has that kind of encouraged you to be a career woman per se? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I know we gave her a lot of grief growing up. Um, Some of my very best friends, even though their moms weren't necessarily stay-at-home moms, they were still the moms that were on PTO Mm -hmm. and packed lunch every day. And it's not that my mom wasn't involved. She just wasn't that level of involved. Mm -hmm. Um, she was still, you know, she, we joke. So I was on the dance team in high school and, um, she could never come for, you know, all three hours of a basketball game to watch me dance. So she literally would come for the five minutes of halftime. She would find out exactly what time I was dancing. She would like sneak in a back door, watch the dance, give me a wave and then leave because that's, you know, she, she's like, well, I'm not going to sit my, waste my night here. Right. Three hours. Kids play basketball that I don't even care about. Uh-huh. Whereas, you know, there, there might be other parents who would gladly sit there for three hours because maybe they were friends with the other moms or, you know, they had friends of friends who were on the basketball team, that kind of thing. I mean, she, w- she prioritized her time. And I think that was always very admirable to me. Um, and it has been, I mean, I think one of my mom's and it's not like some secret quote. I mean, I think, I think it's one that people use all the time, but you know, reach for the stars. And even if you miss, you'll land on the moon. And I live to that to this day. I mean, she always focuses a lot on moon landings, which are moments when you missed, you know, you didn't Mm. get that star you were going for, you landed on the moon, but how cool was that experience that you got to land on this moon and see all these cool things and meet all these new people. And it changed your life in a remarkable way. And, you know, she, although she's very successful, she's had down points in her career when, you know, there were jobs she wanted, but maybe didn't get. And people don't always see that, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they just see the successful moments. And I, you know, I think a lot of that now has to do with social media, but I think she's inspired me in that way to make the best of what you, where you land and really make an impact on the community where you live and, the people you love. And that's really what matters at the end of the day. What, what did your dad do? He was a transplant surgeon. Um, yeah. So he had a kind of crazy job too. Um, and they were both very involved in the community. Um, my dad was definitely the quiet one. My mom was the talker. Um, and they were married for 31 years and, um, you know, it was a difficult decision. So after, Riley, uh, she was up for a pretty big job here in Indiana, which she didn't get. And um, shortly after that, she took a job in Michigan. And, you know, there was kind of a lot of torture in the family of, 
you know, is dad going to go? And Mm -hmm. he didn't end up going um, because he was quiet and had built this life here. He was on several boards and, you know, had built his own little community here and was really involved in the art scene. And um, he didn't want to go. And but he was fully supportive of my mom going. So they um, every weekend would either, you know, if they had an event somewhere, they'd go together. But otherwise, my mom would come here on the weekends or my dad would go there. It was about a four hour drive. So, um, you know, they kind of just made it work. And I think, you know, it was painful when he died because he died on his way home from Michigan. He had to work that Sunday and or mm-hmm. that Monday and um, he'd gone there for the weekend. There was a bad snowstorm and he got in the car to drive back because he had to be at work and he died in a snowstorm. And I think, again, you look at that and it's it's obviously a tragedy and it feels like, oh, my gosh, did we sacrifice did my parents sacrifice living together? And then it was just the worst possible outcome. But obviously, mm-hmm. you know, and there's some guilt, I think, associated with that on all of our parts, but no one could have said that was going to happen. And right. um, he was always so supportive of her career and she was supportive of his. And in modern day, you know, it's not that hard to get somewhere if you have to be long distance and they found a way to make it work, but both of their careers were meaningful and both of their communities were meaningful. And um, they just, they made the decision to make it work and they did as, as long as they could. Well, man, that's crazy. I didn't know that at all about their story. Um, yeah. So he was a transplant surgeon and, you know, I also read up on you a little bit that it said that, you know, your passion about organ donation and whatnot. And so mm-hmm. I'm assuming he was an organ donor. Yes. So, um, kind of weird story there. Um, he was an organ donor, obviously, but something happened. This is one of those weird things that I couldn't face for a long time until I finally talked to my mom about it. But um, something happened after the accident and there was the transfer was mixed up. The departments responding were mixed up and his organs never got donated. Mm. And it's to this day kills me. I mean, I, I don't know. I still don't know. And so many times I thought I need to go back and investigate what happened Um, And there was, you know, even frustration with my mom of like, how do you not know? Because I've done so much with organ groups that, you know, at the end of whatever the speech I give is, I want to be able to say, and my dad donated his, you know, whatever. And it's just a blank because I don't fully know what happened, but there was some mix up and he wasn't able to donate anything. And I mean, I understand whatever the cause of the accident, maybe some organs were not available for donation, but there's usually something that you can give. And I wonder, you know, if it was because it was a Sunday night, they couldn't get him transported in time. It was kind of in the middle of nowhere. Again, I don't I don't fully have all the answers to that. I think it's something I've always kind of wanted to research. But sometimes when I start thinking about it, I get mad at the groups that were supposed to take care of it and couldn't. And I realize that's not going to change anything. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of a it's definitely a frustrating thing about losing him. And then also, I mean, the there were several it was a really bad snowstorm, I think across the Midwest, close to 20 people died that day. And he, um, his accident was mixed up with another one and the accident originally that was reported that he had died in, um, the person was ejected from the vehicle. So when you hear that, um, it's your brain immediately goes to why weren't they wearing their seatbelt? How Mm -hmm. are they? He was a big dude. You know, how was he ejected from the vehicle without wearing a seatbelt? And I, knew my dad was wearing a seat. I mean, I knew it. There was no question in my mind. And so a lot, it was painful. I don't know why I did this to myself, but, you know, I read a lot of the comments online and people were like, well, what would a, what kind of doctor is that stupid to not Ugh. wear a seatbelt in a snowstorm? And 
And again, I wondered over and over. And my mom had told me the story about how, you know, it was it, it was a different accident. And the original article that came out like that, that night from some small town paper had them mixed up. And I think even in the Indy Star, it said that he was it didn't say he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, but it said he was ejected. And it, it killed me forever. And finally, uh, about two years ago, I I was just thinking overthinking it for too long. And I called the county and I was like, I need all the documents. And I was like, I need proof. And um, yeah, I mean, it was he was wearing a seatbelt and insurance, you know, wrote it up that way, all the coding and everything. He was absolutely wearing a seatbelt. But sometimes you just need it mm-hmm. in documentation to kind of see it for yourself. And interestingly, in those documents, so he was driving, the roads were just so slick and um, basically a semi kind of mm. veered, he kind of veered and then a semi veered and it was a bad accident. But the semi driver was fine. And in the paperwork for the first time, I saw the name of the semi driver. And I didn't reach out to him or anything. Um, but I did look him up on Facebook. And he was almost exactly my dad's age and had grandkids, mm. almost exactly the na- the ages of my nephews and niece. And it was like, it was hard. But at the same time, I was like, well, you know, in some ways, he's living that life and life goes on. And um you know, it was kind of nice to see him smiling and, you know, he's a semi driver, lived a very different yeah. life than my dad did. Um, but to see that was kind of heartwarming in a way to just know that he was able to continue his life. And, you know, I'm sure he probably feels some guilt over the accident, even though it totally wasn't his fault right. in the slightest. But yeah, um, I mean, how would you get over that, though? Just be yeah. so tough, even if he didn't do anything wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't do anything wrong. But yeah, I've never reached out to him. I just don't I mean, if he hasn't reached out to us, I just, I don't want to be like intrusive. So yeah. Bring back that memory to him that he probably right, thinks right. about multiple times a day. Right. Man, that's heavy. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> no, no. Oh my. So, but when he did transplant surgeries, I mean, was that a big thing? Like he would get some, receive someone from an accident and, and use, you know, quick surgery. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I mean, his biggest thing was motorcycles. He was like, mm-hmm. if you ever got on a motorcycle, I will kill you. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> you are never allowed. Because so many of those accidents with motorcycles, it's a head injury, but the rest of your organs are fine. And mm-hmm. so he would just go nuts. I mean, I've never been on a motorcycle, um, but he was, he actually called them murder cycles because oh, yeah. they're, they're just, for him, it was like, that's where so many of his donors came from. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was one of those things, you know, they get something in the middle of the night and they kind of got to make a move and go for it. He did liver, kidney and pancreas surgery. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was long surgeries, long hours. Um, but I think he really enjoyed it. It was very technical and he, he was an artist, um, a photographer and his mom was a painter and my brother is an artist as well. And I think there was a piece of surgery that kind of used that artistic side that he was kind of able to utilize in his day job too. Totally. Yeah. It's jobs like that. I'm just like, sometimes I wake up in the morning and you know, I'm in a haze and I just, I, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I can't imagine if I actually had a job like that. Someone's life was literally in my hands. I know. I know. I know. I don't know how he did it, but he was kind of a, he was a big man, but very soft. And I have in my apartment, um, he was in an art class at Heron, um, at the time when he died, he was taking like a course just because, because why not? Um, and his final project was a self portrait and we never saw it until after he died. Um, but he was known to, again, he was a bigger man. 
he was known to swim in the pool in a Speedo or naked. <laughs> and so we found the self-portrait after he died. I have a big picture of my, on my wall. And Aww. it's basically my dad in a Speedo. Oh, um, and so people come over and like kind of awkward. Cause they're like, so like, what is the story? And I'm like, well, that's why it's there. You know, like, so I can tell you all about how crazy and cool my dad was. So it's just kind of fun. That's so awesome. It's like someone in there. What was he in his sixties when he passed away? He was 55, but yeah, close oh, 55. Jeez. Um, yeah, like someone that age, someone so accomplished, he's a transplant surgeon and he's taking a class because yeah, why not just learn an art more? class. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so special. So special. Um, okay. So we got to get to our fun questions at the end. Okay. Um, okay. Are you okay on time? No. Yeah. I'm totally fine. Okay. What is one thing you'd like to do personally or professionally that you haven't done yet? Like if you were like, you know, you have to check this off your bucket list. Uh, so I've never interviewed a president. Um, mm. and I would love to, I'm I mean, politics aside, I would just love to interview, I think, any president. And then um, kind of personally, this is so random, but um, apparently ice fishing is really fun. And I never got to do it when I lived in Minnesota. And I would love to go ice fishing. I've never done it. And so I'm hoping at some point, I don't think you can do it in Indiana, but I'd love to go back to Minnesota at some point and go ice fishing. Ice fishing does not sound like fun to me. But it doesn't, but there's alcohol involved. Oh, (laughs) okay. There's a lot of beer involved. Yes. Okay. Um, on that note, what's your favorite, what's your favorite adult beverage? So it depends what I'm in the mood for. I have been on like a boxed wine kick lately. Like they have so many of those new brands, you know, it's not like Franzia, like we used to drink in college. They have like kind of nice boxed wine, um, that I've been drinking a lot of lately. But if I'm at a bar and it's like my birthday, I'm definitely getting a dirty kettle martini, very dirty with blue cheese olives. Ooh. No doubt. I like that. Um, have you been to, uh, livery? Yes. Only once though. And it was like kind of right when they opened. So I need to go back. Yeah. Um, I don't always have margaritas like with a margarita, like it needs to be at the time of the night where I haven't really eaten like a meal yet because I feel like a heavy stomach and then to have margarita, but they have, um, they're kind of known for their margaritas, I think. And we went out the other night and got one and, um, they're very clean and good. You know what I mean? Like it's not like, not that syrup stuff. Exactly. Like a good margarita. And it was, I would highly recommend it. It was very delicious. Um, and they have spicy ones too, I believe. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. But speaking of boxed wine, so I was just at the grocery store on my way home to do this interview. I dropped the boys off at the Y and, um, for childcare (laughs) and I had an extra like half hour of like, I'm going to the store all by myself. It was amazing. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I'm looking at the wines and I always just get Apothic red wine, or there's this wine called I think it's I think it's Menage Trois is what the name is. <laughs> I've seen yes, I've seen the bottle. Okay, okay, and those are like anywhere between like nine and eleven dollar bottles. Okay, and I feel like the difference between like a seven dollar bottle and a ten dollar bottle is a huge difference in taste. And then I don't even go any further because I drink too much wine. It's too it's too expensive to like you know, right. venture. Well, you should try a box because right, that's what I'm curious about. Okay, 20 bucks. And it's, I think it's three bottles worth. Really? Yeah. And the nice thing for me is like, I never, it takes me forever to finish a bottle of wine and let alone three. So when I have a box, it just hangs out in my fridge and I'm usually white. I will, I like red. I will do red, but I usually drink white wine. So does it stay good because it's in the box? Yeah. I mean, well, it's actually in like a bag. Like, did you ever drink Franzia or Franzia in college? Yes. Yes. 
so it kind of looks like that, but the boxes have gotten a little fancier and <laughs> um, like Boda box is a really popular one. I think it's called black box is another one. And then Marsh had this crazy sale this week. So I got some other ones that I was like, never tried. I'm like, but they were so cheap for half off. I'm like, okay. So do you think they're incomparable in like, and I am no wine connoisseur. Like I, yeah. I don't know fancy stuff, but do you think they're comparable in taste to like a $10 bottle? I would say, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Are you I mean, with me on that? Do you, you feel like, like that? It. I mean, do you yeah. feel like you you dip under 10 and it starts getting shady, but then... Yeah, it has like that weird kind of kick at the end. Yes. And you're like, I don't... Yeah, and it gives you a headache, totally. So I've tried a couple at Trader Joe's because, you know, Trader Joe's is known for like their two-buck chuck or whatever. It's right. actually $3 now, but um, <laughs> I have tried to buy a couple like cheaper six $7 bottles of wine there and they're never... It's never as Not good. good. It's got to be ten. It's got to be ten. Yeah, <laughs> unless it's on sale. Like if it's a if it's like a eleven on sale for eight, that's like the best deal. Yeah, you can find the apothic on sale for eight ninety nine. That's as cheap as oh, I found it. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's and I'm just good. afraid to venture away from it because I know I like it. Well, they, you know, Boda Box has like a little brick version too. That's smaller. I think it's a bottle and a half. You could start there, and if you like it, you can get more. Well, and usually I open one bottle of wine, and it takes me three or four days to drink the bottle. Like once. Yeah, I, I would it. say, cause if you have like a glass or glass and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Glass or two a night. Like, yeah. And last night I had the tiniest bit left in the bottle. I will never throw a <laughs> bottle away. Um, right. And I was like, is this pointless? Like what's the point of even drinking it? But it's sometimes it's almost just like the ritual. Like it just feels relaxing to right. have the cup. Yeah. It's just that little bit you need. Okay. So what is your biggest fear? Well, mine's like kind of general, um, but I would definitely say failure. And I think it's like failure on any level. I think it's not just at work. I think it's failure to be a good friend or Mm -hmm. failure to be a good aunt or a good daughter and obviously failure at work too. I just think sometimes I overthink it and um, I spend too much time thinking about failing that I'm like, I could have spent that time doing something productive. Um, But yeah, I would definitely say it's probably, probably just failing I think at anything do you have any routines that you do like um you know if you have a big assignment or something that you have some anxiety about work related do you have anything that you do to kind of calm down um you know not really actually I because I don't I'm not like a big coffee drinker sometimes I'll have tea I think the biggest thing for me if I have something big coming up is making sure I get enough sleep Mm -hmm. um which is hard I mean I won't lie as you know it's hard it's hard um but no, I don't, you know, I don't have any, like, I don't like say anything in my head beforehand. I know some people who do, um, but sometimes, especially with reporting, you don't even have time. You're just like, mm-hmm. and even with anchoring, I mean, this morning I got to work at two, the show started <laughs> at four. It was like, I read through the scripts and I was like, oh shoot, got to go get ready. And then, you know, I think kind of doing my makeup, I'll listen to some music and that's kind of like my thinking and myself personal time before the show. Now, do you do your own makeup? Yeah, we all do our own hair and makeup, and um, people ask me all the time. But, yeah, I think until you get to, like, a network level or, like, a huge market, most of us do. And sometimes, like, for a promo shoot, they will, or, like, for your, like, school picture day at work, sometimes they'll do it for you. But, frankly, like, even you know, I've been in a ton of weddings. I always am happier when I do it myself anyway. Well, you're used to having to apply heavy makeup on a regular basis. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I do like the airbrush that they do because I can't do that myself. But other than that, I'm like, I like to do everything else on my own. Okay, well, speaking of makeup then, I mean, this wasn't on my list of questions for you, but I'm yeah. just, now I'm curious. What What's your favorite brand? Like, what do you, do you have a go-to? Yeah, you know, I usually go with MAC, um, at least for, like, my basic. I don't use any kind of liquid foundation. Um, I never really have. 
Uh, I use their, I think it's called Studio Fix. And then I use like a bronzer and a blush all from MAC. And then um, usually with eyeshadow, I usually just whatever. I've bought so much over the years. And I'm like, all right, this will do. And it's uh-huh. like something I bought at Sephora forever ago. Eyeliner, I'm eyeliner and mascara. Typically, I can get away with CVS. I mean, I I wear Maybelline Unstoppable Eyeliner, and that's like pretty much my go-to. I do have like the liquid stuff from Mac. I hardly ever use it. Um, once in a while, if I'm like bored and feel like it, but yeah, I'm kind of a Mac girl. Um, and again, I don't really use. I right now I've been lo- using a Laura Mercier um, like cover-up, but I frankly, I mean, even Mac isn't that expensive, and it, yeah. If, it's pretty good. So yeah, comparable. Yeah. Comparable to like the other high end brands like Max. Right. Max pretty good. I recently started buying, I just bought some beauty counter from, um, somebody and I really like it, but I mean, I wear makeup like three days a week. Maybe I'm not, (laughs) I'm not in front of a camera and well, when I'm off, I hate wearing it. I like would rather not wear it at all. And then sometimes I think people won't recognize me because I'm like not wearing any makeup and I'll be like dressed like a total schlub and I'm like, Oh, and I'm like, no, not me. And I like run the other direction. Don't look me in the eyes. I'm just a cousin. I'm a cousin of Naomi. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I put it on even though I know I'm going to be home and I don't even know if I'm going to leave the house because I know it'll make me feel better. Right. But then right. I'm like, what's the point? Like my kids don't care, but it's, it's right, for me. Exactly. If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Um, okay. So I'd probably say be kind to one another, which is Ellen's quote, yeah. obviously, but um, I feel like it applies to everything, I think. And sometimes I think I have to remind myself of that, especially with, and I think, you know, anyone who doesn't get a lot of sleep can relate. I think uh-huh. sometimes you just, and you know, you'll have a really rough day. You'll have like yelled at someone being stupid or been mad at a friend. And then you wake up from a nap and you're like, oh my gosh, like that was so dumb. And sometimes remind myself like, okay, even when I'm mad about something, just be kind because usually it's not the end of the world. And if you can just be kind to someone else, it can just calm the whole situation down. And I think about it too with journalism because we've taken so much heat in the past year. And sometimes I just wish people would realize that I'm just doing my job the Mm -hmm. same as you're just doing yours. And just think about that, you know, like be kind. I'm not here to ruin your day. If you don't want to talk to me, you can tell me kindly to go away. Or even just like the online comments that are just evil sometimes. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Do you read them? I do. And I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't. And so many people, mentors in the business are like, why do you read them? And I think it's just part of my journalistic curiosity that I just want to know what people are saying. Um, I try not to respond and usually I can get away with not responding. Um, but again, if I'm like tired and I read it, Mm. it's like mad fingers and I'm like, um, but do you guys have some sort of, go ahead. Well, the ones that like are most hurtful are like other women criticizing the way you look. Ugh, and who does I that? actually took a lot of women and I really? actually took this advice from Angela Buckman, who folks who don't live in Indy won't know, but she's a very popular meteorologist in town and she's gorgeous and she's so sweet and amazing. And one time she told me, you know, one of the ways that she's responded and she, she was the one who was too like, just don't respond. But she's like, one time I responded by saying, you know, something like, I really wish that as women, we could build each other up and lift each other up instead of being critical and putting each other down. And so I've kind of used that line from time to time. And it's kind of like a kill them with kindness kind of thing, you know, and usually either they won't respond back or they'll be like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was being oh, critical. Like, yeah. I didn't mean to come out that way. And I'm like, you said my hair was ugly. You didn't mean that to be critical. <laughs> like, it sounded a little critical, but usually they kind of back off after that. And it's true. It's like, okay, you really felt that strongly that you needed to 
get on your computer or phone and type in an email that sometimes goes to my boss telling me you didn't like the way my hair looked, like get over it, you know? That's insane. Um, yeah, somebody else that I interviewed on this podcast, Mary Catherine Hamm, I kind of had scrolled through her Twitter feed before our interview and she, she has lots of people ridiculing her all the time. And I, I told her I admired the way she responded to people because even when someone was like, kind of like you said, just be kind, even when someone was super just like, why would you say that to somebody? Um, she kind of just leveled with them and kind of gave, like, kind of like answered with grace, like, you know, gave them an out. Like, I'm giving you an out to like apologize for what you just said to me. Right. Exactly. They don't think we're real. You know, they don't think we're human. That's crazy. And, you know, even for my podcast on these, I, you know, have ratings and reviews on iTunes. Like if I get any sort of criticism on a rating and review, I'm like, well, well, you know, like it hurts my feelings just a little bit. And there's really not even that many of them, but it's hard to not take it personally. Yeah, it is. It's really hard not to. I mean, you, I don't even think I really have thick enough skin for this business. (laughs) And so that, that's a challenge to you. I mean, some people are so much easier about just like brushing it off, but it's hard when like, if someone could, I think someone the other day said I had a mustache. And so now like, if I'm doing my makeup, I'm like, wait, do I have a mustache? You know, like, then you're like thinking about it. Can I shade my concealer a little bit differently right. so it doesn't look like exactly. I do? Exactly. I'm like, do I have, and I'm like, I've never noticed that before. Do I have a mustache? You know, but like then you get, it gets in your head and that's why you're not supposed to read them, but it's hard not to. If I can get the cartoons off the TV on the weekends, we have you guys on and we always oh, well, talk good, about, thanks. we always talk about how adorable you are. So. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> We do not talk about your mustache or your bad hair. Okay, good. Okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, okay, so I feel like I'm going to know the answer to this question just based on what I know about you in, your, in our conversation. But if you could have coffee or cocktail with anybody, who would it be? Well, my, I mean, my first answer would be my dad. Yes. But I don't know if that counts because he's not here anymore. Um, but I do feel like it's just, I think, one of the hardest things about losing someone suddenly. And I, I, have, I know a lot of people who have lost parents or even children and um you know, it's a different situation, whether it's someone you lose over time to an illness or Mm -hmm. someone you said goodbye to and never got to see again. But, uh, you know, the last voicemail I had from him, which I accidentally deleted a couple days after he died was him calling because, you know, I was 23 at the time. So I was still getting a little help from my parents and they still had access to my credit card. And it was him (laughs) in his standard why did you spend $200 at Target? Like, what did you get there? (laughs) And so sometimes I just think about, you know, if I could, I'd love to explain to him that I needed more conditioner and I was out of bobby pins (laughs) and they had a jacket that was like ridiculously cheap. And, you know, like those kind of just like funny little things or even still, even though it's been six years, sometimes I'm like something really like when I went to the inauguration and I was picked to go to that, I was like, okay, I got to make sure I call all my friends and let them know. And I'm like, okay, I got to call my dad. And I'm like, oh my God, like he hasn't been here in six years, you know, but it's just one of those things that you, you never really get over. And I would just love to sit down with him and tell him what's going on. And I mean, some way I think he knows, but maybe he doesn't, I don't know how the world works, but it would be nice to just kind of sit down with him one more time. Oh yeah. I knew that was going to be your answer. Did you have, (laughs) did you have anybody else or did I did have a backup answer um, because this is so random, um, but probably Monica Lewinsky, which is totally weird. Yeah. But I would love, because I, you know, it came up again during the whole Hillary Clinton campaign. And I think about, I think she was like 23 when that whole thing went down. And I just think back about how she basically, her life was ruined and his wasn't. And 
I would just love to know exactly what happened and what was going through her mind. And not only that, but I kind of love how she's done this whole cyberbullying thing because again, I mean, not the same level at all, but I deal with some of that too. And I would just love to kind of get her perspective and how, you know, she's able to get out there and like show her face and whether or not you think she's a horrible person. It's like that takes a lot of bravery and I would just love to get her kind of perspective on it all. I love that answer. I mean, it's just totally (laughs) totally out of left field, but it's so good. Yeah. Um, What are you loving right now? Okay. So um, clothing rentals for sure. Um, I do rent the runway and La Tote. I know there are a couple others out there that I've kind of tried. Um, Rent the runway unlimited is one fifty a month. And if you work in a job where what you wear is important um, and you need to be wearing something different all the time, hence what I do, one fifty is like the best deal you can get. You get three really expensive dresses at a time. Um, you can change them out as often as you want. And I mean, these are expensive. I wore a dress a couple of weeks ago. It was just a blue plain dress. And I think it was retail like $900, which wow. I mean, I don't even spend 150 on a dress at ever. So to be able to kind of trade them out as often as often as I want is awesome. And then La Tote is a much cheaper version, but it's more kind of a mixture of like casual and workwear and um, they have accessories too. So I'm obsessed with both. And I, I mean, it's most of my wardrobe. When I actually have to buy something, I'm like, where do I go? Because I hardly ever shop anymore. Live, and then live tote. Letote. It's L-E-T-O-T-E. And then Rent Runway Unlimited. Well, and I feel like for someone who has a job like you, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, I save so much money. I also have been buying a lot of dresses on Amazon, oddly enough, but they're pretty cheap. Well, and if you bought every single item that you wore at work, like you just have too many clothes, right? Right. I have too many clothes. And I, you know, you really, especially the nice thing about Rent the Runway is like sometimes you can get something a little interesting that maybe you wouldn't buy or maybe you probably would never wear again, but it's like, oh, this is kind of different. You know, like, okay, yeah, I can wear this today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always wanted to try Rent the run- Runway for like a wedding or, you know, something like that. I don't know You'll why be hooked. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, and I'm getting old enough now that like nobody's getting married anymore, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> but like for galas or even like fun little events, like that's why Unlimited is cool for me because like I'm going out of town next week. And so the three things I rented this time are all I'm going – to the Virgin Islands. And so they're all like kind of fun stuff. And I'm like, oh, these are like expensive little rompers that I would never buy. Never buy. And I'm like, great. Okay. I can wear them. I don't have to wash them. I'll just send them back. And how long do you have them for? As long as you want. So I, you get the most out of it though, if you send them back quickly. So I try to kind of plan out mine, you know, I'll, I'll even bring the bag, the return bag with me to work sometimes. And I'll change out of it at work and throw it in the bag and put it in the mail. Um, but you can keep them as long as you want. I usually keep mine about a week because that's how long it takes me to wear all three and of them with my days off. And then shipping? Nope. It's a uh, $150 a month flat fee, includes shipping, includes um, includes laundry, all that stuff. Man, that's really something to think about because I know it's it sounds so stupid, but like, a lot of times you post a picture and you're like, oh, I've already worn that outfit, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And especially with like cult season, we're supposed to wear blue. I work Sundays and Fridays a lot of times and you're supposed to wear blue every Friday and every Sunday. Oh, gosh. And I'm like, I don't have that many blue dresses. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just rent them. Oh, that's so great. Um, okay. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Uh, probably Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll. It's um, so many books and 
movies right now are about journalists, but this is about a girl that works at like a fashion magazine and she um, had a really traumatic experience when she was growing up and it's kind of her journey getting over it. But then also like, you know, the, the pressure to get married and have children and how she kind of wants that, but also isn't sure she wants it and kind of like fights back along the way. It's just, it's a really good book. It's juicy too. What's her name again? Jessica Knoll. Okay. It's called Luckiest Girl Alive. Okay. I, it sounds familiar to me. It's a pretty good book. Yeah. It's okay. pretty popular too. It was going around for a while. So I've probably seen it on Goodreads or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you probably have. Yeah. What is your favorite nonprofit you like to support? Well, I have a few. Um, I, I mean, I have a close connection to Riley just because I have my whole life. Um, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, I've kind of just grown into here in Indy because I did a couple stories with them. And it's just, I mean, these kids are so darling. And people think, you know, people criticize organizations like that because it's like, well, you should be spending the money on research mm, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And it's like some of these kids don't have a chance. And yeah research would take 10 years and it's not going to help them. And it's not only a gift to them, but it's a gift to their families because you can take your family on the trip. And sometimes it's just a chance for them to get away. And often it's their last memories. And so um, just from doing stories on them, I'm a part of the youth advisory committee and um, it's been a lot of fun. And then of course, any organ donation organization, I kind of feel a special connection to. Who are your top three favorite people to follow on social media? Okay, I couldn't pick three, so I picked four, but a few <laughs> of them are similar. So I love Chrissy Teigen, but I know that's so basic, so uh-huh. I don't feel like that counts because I feel like <laughs> everyone loves following her because she's just fun. Um, but I love following Britney Spears. I don't know if you follow really? her. Really? I don't. Oh, my gosh. She's awesome. Like, Well, because she's really into fitness. I mean, she looks incredible. Oh, I have heard um, that. So she has tons of like – and I'm not even a fitness person, but I just kind of like watching – her because I feel like she just looks awesome and I've been a fan for a long time but she posts a lot about her boys and you know she also kind of had it rough there for a couple of years uh-huh. so some of her like motivational little quotes I, I kind of just like connect with oddly enough I'm like oh I kind of like that I'm like it's posted by Britney Spears but <laughs> I don't really care I mean and I I follow all the news and all that stuff too but those aren't very very fun they're just kind of things that I follow I mean I love you know the onion and you know I love following all those but as far as like my like kind of guilty pleasure ones those are definitely it um and then I would say eat here indie which again is an indie local food Instagram account um but I they just they get into all the restaurants first and I'm like okay now I know what to order I've like messaged them before and been like okay so I'm going to this new place like what should I get and he's like I think it's a guy I don't even know who actually runs it um and he's like okay you should try this try this try this and I'm like okay cool like I just feel like totally informed um, and then this is random too, but I am a huge Bloody Mary fan and I follow best Bloody Mary on Instagram. And even if you don't love Bloody Marys, it's really fun to follow because they have like those crazy ones that are like filled with a bazillion things. And they also do like brunch food on it. So it's kind of fun. Um, just like I'm a big foodie. I hate saying that word, but I love food and I, I love like interesting food. So, um, those are probably my, my top few. Okay, I also love Bloody Marys, but I also have this thing where I feel like when I eat a Bloody Mary, because when I drink alcohol, I don't want to feel, like, full and bloated, I feel like it's, yeah. like, sort of a mini meal, because it's, like, it's substantial in, in what's it in it. It is. Yeah, well, there's a few, like, I love Zing Zang for the mix, um, because it's kind of, like, lighter, so a lot of, like, a lot of dive bars are kind of the best places to get Bloody Marys, because it's just that little bit of vodka and like usually Zing Zang or some other basic mix. I'm not into the really heavy 
mixes. Uh-huh. Um, but if I get like a crazy one with like all the stuff on top, it's kind of good for brunch because I feel like brunch you can get something light and then get a Bloody Mary. So here's my question. You are such a foodie and you're you're always posting all these like amazing dishes on Instagram and stuff. Are you just Naomi Pes- Peskovitz on Instagram? Uh, I'm N Pesco on Instagram. N Pesco. Okay. Um, N Pesco on Instagram and Twitter uh, Naomi Peskovitz. So, but you don't like fitness. So, like, how do you stay in good shape? <laughs> well, so I think, well, I used to have, like, a crazy appetite. Like, all my friends growing up and even my mom would be, like, I would, like, could win, like, an eating competition, like, no question, like, against a dude. Um, but I think part of it is, like, I kind of save, like, I don't eat a lot during the day and then, or, like, I'll kind of, like, graze or snack during uh-huh. the day. And I usually only have, like, one ridiculous meal a day. Okay. And I feel like maybe that's how I think I just also have a good metabolism, but... Um, and I'm also like, even though I don't like do a lot of working out, my job is just like fairly active Mm -hmm. to begin with. I'm kind of like moving around a lot. So I don't know, but that's my best answer. (laughs) But you like, you like fancy foods. Like you like these fancy restaurants, but you also like Doritos. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love Doritos. That's like (laughs) my favorite thing ever. Doritos are like just, it's just an easy, salty, yummy, like crunchy snack. Like when you're craving a snack, there's nothing better than Doritos. I agree. Chips for sure. (laughs) If... And this will be my very last question since you're so into the food scene. What are your top three favorite restaurants in Indy? If you had to choose. <sighs> okay. I know my number one absolutely hands down Bluebeard and Fountain Square. Okay. Um, there's no question. It is by far the best restaurant in the city. Um, I know there are some other people who would argue like Tinker Street. Uh-huh. And I love Tinker Street too. Tinker Street is a close second. But like for that genre – I would definitely say um, Bluebeard is my favorite for like kind of new American mm-hmm. kind of like fun, interesting food. Second, I would say Szechuan Garden, which is in Lafayette Square area. So don't be afraid. It's actually a <laughs> great food scene. I know people like don't like to go over there because the mall is closed and there's not very much residential. It's all kind of like uh-huh. old businesses, but um, it is incredible. And they have dim sum, which is awesome, which is like little Chinese dishes um, so you get to taste a lot of different things and it's just like really authentic and amazing. Number three. So, okay. My go-to really are the nachos at Brew Burger. I mean, oh, they're so I, good. Yeah. So good. Chicken, barbecue, nachos at Brew Burger. Um, if I really can't decide what I want to eat, that's usually where I end up. So those would be my top three, but I could probably list 20, but I won't. <laughs> we just went to Tinker Street for the first time. Did you love it? Yeah, I loved it. It was the same night we went to livery. And I, yeah, we just got an appetizer and I felt bad that we were like not ordering dinner, but I was like, we have a night out and we want to try a couple new places because we don't get to do it much. So yeah, you got to, well, those are both really great. I mean, Tinker Street is really awesome and it's hard too, because people are like Tinker Street or Bluebeard and I, it's hard. I think my heart just belongs to Bluebeard because there's a couple (laughs) dishes I've had there where like, they're just so bizarre I had ostrich there once, and it was heavenly, and I'm like, I just kind of love that quirkier side of it. Yeah, you try anything. That's kind of like your thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've been to Bluebeard. I forget. There's a restaurant in Fountain Square that we went for appetizers once. I I feel like I should know if it was Bluebeard or not, but I can't remember. Ugh. There's a couple great ones over there. It's kind of hard to keep track, and they all kind of have that similar vibe. I love Rook, too. I should have included Rook. Ooh, awesome. I've never been there. Oh, Rook is really good. Is that Fountain Square? Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of, you know people that are kind of picky about whether it's Fletcher Place or Town oh, Square. I guess true. if you're before the bridge, you're technically so. Then I guess Bluebeard is technically Fletcher Place too. But I call it all Fountain Square. Well, yeah, and we just went to Milk Tooth for the first time finally. Oh yeah, Milk Tooth is great too. It's just usually a wait. So right, I went on a Thursday at like nine. So it was oh perfect. perfect. Yeah, no wait at all. That's awesome. Yep. 
Well, I appreciate you taking your time to do this. This was so of fun. Of course. So fun. It was great to talk to you. I need to see the baby soon. I need to see Can you that believe head it? of know. hair. Well, he's lost a lot of it. Has he really? Yes. In the back, he's got the old man bald spot. But if I, oh my gosh. If I, once I wash it and like brush it, it still looks pretty full, but it's not near as full. I mean, when he was born, it was insane. I'm like, you must have started growing your hair when you were like 12 weeks in utero. <laughs> it's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll have to see them soon. Yes, for sure. We'll have a good rest of the day. I hope you can. Thank you. Get some rest in. Yes, I will. I'm probably going to nap here soon. Good. All right. Okay, thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the podcast today. Thank you, Naomi, for coming on the show. You guys can follow me on Instagram, lindsayhines626. You can also follow me on Twitter, at lindsayhines. Don't forget to check out Now Foods, now-2-u.com. Enter the promo code another all caps to save 25% off your next order. And I want you guys all to have a wonderful Friday. Have a wonderful weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday. Say bye, Russ. You want to say bye to everybody? <laughs> Is that you saying bye? <laughs> bye, everybody.